Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Heaps going on in the world of cricket again this week. Every week we go through our run sheet and there's heaps and heaps of cricket going on across the world. We're going to talk Big Bash, Super Smash. We're going to talk Test Match Cricket at the Manuka Oval. We're going to talk about the ICC Under-19 World Cup and a whole host more here on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, Bordy, we've got to start, I think, with the women's ashes. We have just driven up to the podcast and following this on the internet on the way up, an absolutely barnstorming finish to this test match. England, nine down, set a chase on the final day of the four-day test in Canberra. What are your thoughts? And we're literally 20 minutes after this game's finished, right? Yeah, well, what, an, what an incredible finish from a game that was sort of petering out into nowhere. And two or three hours ago, we were talking and we were saying Australia should just bat and bat and bat and let the game meander into a draw, shake hands, have a beer and you know, move on to the one-dayers. But Australia set a declaration for England, a brilliant batting performance for for the England girls to get them close. And then Australia took five wickets in the space of a couple of overs to have England nine down with two overs to go. And then England were able to, um, with Sophie Eccleston and Kate Cross, bat out for a draw in those last 12 balls. So what could have meandered into uh, a pretty, you know, damp squib of a finish ended up becoming an incredibly exciting test match, maybe the best of the summer. I love it when they set, set targets like that. What, what what did you make of that declaration? You happy with the amount of time, amount of runs that were left? Look, I probably would have just continued to bat. I probably wouldn't have declared and, and made England either chase down a score that had me bowled out or just batted and, and, until the end of the game. But Australia have set a declaration that England went after and felt that they could get. And if it finishes nine down and Australia were a chance to take the last wicket, then I think you have to say that the declaration was just about spot on. Binksy, you must be pretty stoked from a, an English point of view. I think that they went for it because uh, I know we've criticised Joe Root certainly a lot for, for his the men's side not going for targets uh, over the past 12 months. Good on the, the women's side for actually having a real crack at that. Yeah, look, I was listening to the commentary and I think it was Brad Hodge was on the commentary for, is it Fox Sports, I think, covering it in mm. uh, in Australia. And he was kind of goading Australia to make a declaration from England being in a position where he was actually suggesting that Australia pull the pin and leave them around about four and over to chase. They've ended up uh, setting over five and over to chase and they've nearly got there. Yeah. The question I would ask though is really just, uh, the, the girls don't play that much test cricket. So whether or not they actually um, have actually said, you know, we're actually won a game of this. You know, we, we would rather win a test match and, and put that uh, potential loss on the line in order to have a chance of winning a test match rather than just playing safe and going for, uh, for the draw. But in the context of the series, pretty big decision. When you think about the fact that this test match obviously holds more points than the one days and the, um, the T20s, and Australia going into a situation where if they'd have just carried on batting for their next three wickets, England would have needed to win all three of the ODIs um, in order to have a sniff of winning this multi-format series. So, uh, look, good on Australia for setting up a game of cricket. Um, but, look, I think, yeah, credit goes to England for actually having a crack at the runs. And I I've got to say that um, I thought Heather Knight batted fantastically in both innings. Um, obviously, a big 100, 168, I think, in the first innings and then uh, got 40-odd in the second innings as well. So, yeah, look, really good advert for, uh, for the game and really exciting to watch as well. So where, as an, as an Australian, Australian supporter, where do you sit on that result? Do you, I know you wanted Australia to probably bat through and, and hold that, that dominance, mm. but, but where do you sit after this game? Oh, look, I think it was a fantastic 
game of cricket and a massive, massive win for women's cricket in terms of being an entertainment, an entertainment product. You know, I was following the ESPN Cricket Info commentary on the way through and there were people like flooding in on the commentary feed to say, this has been an incredible test match. I'm tuning in. I'm so glad to see, you know, women's cricket being an entertaining product. And I think that's the best outcome from a, from a holistic cricket point of view. I look, I think it was great that Australia declared and tried to set up a win in a test match rather than going for the draw. And, you know, nine down, we could we could have had the, we could have had the win. You know, a little bit of luck goes your way, and you might pick up a wicket late in the day and get that win. But I think it's fantastic outcome overall for the game of cricket. Can I can I just ask what is the reason for the women's games being four day tests? Like it just doesn't really, I you know, doesn't really seem like any point. Why couldn't they have just played a five day game? You could say, well. Um, you know, maybe I don't know if I don't actually know at all if, you know, women's games have finished uh, in the past in four days and that's kind of why they do it. But it just seems pointless that they had to set up a game instead of actually just play it out, you know? Yeah, I mean, they do play 100 overs in a day. So they play 400 overs of cricket instead okay. of 450 in the normal sort of five day, 90 over a day test. So they play almost as much in terms of, you know, number of overs bowled as the men do. But obviously, in terms of a shortened time frame, weather has more of an impact. So you lose two yeah. or three hours. And or there was a, a bit of weather in this and game as well. Absolutely. And I think that has been the criticism of women's test cricket in the past is there has been a, a fair amount of draw cricket. But that's largely, I think, because games are played over three or four days. I think there'd be a lot more result-oriented cricket if you played over five days or at least had a reserve day if you had a significant amount of time lost to rain. But, I mean, as it stands, this is a test match that going into the final three overs, you could have had any one of the four possible outcomes. So, you know, this is probably not the best game to look at in terms of asking that question. Yeah, look, I guess it's easy to Monday, Monday morning quarterback this, but it is a short series if you think about it. Three games of T23, uh, three ODIs, and just a single test match. Um, an extra day so that you know you have got that ability to have a result in a test match, particularly when the result of the test match is so important in the context of this series. If either side wins a test match, then you know they really are in the pound seats or the uh, $3 seats. Um, or what is it? No, but two, two and a half dollar seats. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, with inflation, but... Um, you look know, definitely in in the in the pan seats for for that uh, for that contest. But look, really good series and and shaping up that you know those one days. If we don't get the weather that we had in Adelaide, like mm. how disappointing is it to have two days rain in bloody Adelaide, boarding? Yeah, well that's the thing. I mean that's curtailed all of the T20s that a lot of people would have wanted to get along to and and whatnot as well. And hopefully we get three good days of cricket in the one day. As in England will now having had that draw at Monica Oval, we'll need to win all three, I think, to take the series they off will. Australia now. Yep. Bloody Australian weather. Um, let's move on to more uh, potential for Australian weather. We didn't have it, obviously, at the... Is it the Marvel Stadium, the Dockland Stadium? I, yes. I never remember which one it is. Yes, but that's the undercover the, stadium in it, Melbourne that it, it is, is the associated one that with Spider-Man the... Spider-Man might come in on yep, that. Yeah, okay. Um, so that was the book. final of the Big Bash. So you heard it here first that the Sydney Sixers beat the Adelaide Strikers for the right to lose to Perth Scorchers <laughs> in the final. Bordy, we finally... Finally got a bloody prediction right. We did, and it took and it took a a, a breaking of a three-peat uh, to res, re, resurrect the Perth Scorchers' dominance over the Big Bash. I mean, they're the most successful team now by far. I think this is their fourth title, um, and they've just got you know class top to bottom. Marsh, Munro, uh, actually, to be fair, Inglis. None of them did anything in the final. But I was going to say, yeah, that's not really the highlights really of the final of, of the actual final itself. And I mean, the Perth Scorchers were in big trouble, four for forty, uh, batting first at. Um, 
at the Marvel Stadium. And then it was Ashton Turner and, and Laurie Evans stole the show uh, with a tremendous partnership to put them back on track and that give them 171 for six. That through. was the big thing for me. But that there's actually just no fear in T20 mm. cricket now. Like they were, yeah, I think they were 25 for four actually, mm. and they were in all sorts of trouble. And you think back to, well, I don't know, even thinking myself, I was like, okay, they'll just consolidate for a few overs here. No, they just kept going and they put on 110 overs and suddenly they're in a great position and, and you know, obviously ended up winning by by a long way. But just that's what struck me the most. There's just no fear at all in T20 cricket. Yeah, I, look, I'll probably say it a slightly different way. They didn't consolidate in terms of necessarily, you know, patting it around, but they, they, they did, uh, Ashton Turner and uh, Laurie Evans did play in a more circumstance uh, circumspect fashion for a period of time. They they both were actually well under a hundred from a strike rate perspective for a decent period of time, and then hit the afterburners um, to to get the Perth Scorchers um, to that total. Look, I'm just going to take what little solace I can from what has been a horrible Australian um, summer. I was listening to the commentary, and to be honest, I was a little bit pissed off that um, the big bash cheerleading crew of you know Gilchrist and Ponting and Mark Howard and whoever was Alpha's in the commentary box were going on about how good Ashton Turner was. Laurie Evans at the other end, Englishman, has played uh, crack county cricket for Surrey, Sussex and Warwickshire. Um, stole the show, really, striking at 185 is 76 off 41 balls. Look, with a broken foot as well. Let, you know, let's, uh, let's really talk about this. He had an injection before the game. He had one at halfway. Um, so look, you know, this has got to, you know, actually probably just uh, turn that Ashes deficit round to, to 4-1, hasn't it? <laughs> Well, if you say so, Adam. I mean, it was a great <laughs> performance from Perth Scorchers on both sides, bat and ball. Jai Richardson, two for 20. Berendorf, one for... I mean, all these guys were going at sixes and under. Hatsoglu, Ashton Agar and Andrew Ty ended up with three wickets, all going for under six runs and over. In fact, none of the Perth Scorchers bowlers went for more than six and a quarter. So, you know, great great performance on both sides of the ball, and it just ended up proving too much for a sixes side that did really well to get into the final. Um. Let's just talk about, I guess, the Sixers' uh, plight, really, that, you know, ravaged by injury um, throughout the course of the tournament. I know we talked on the last podcast about Steve Smith's not being allowed to play. We've got to talk about that. Look, it... In my view, it was a semi-final. It was probably called something like the Dominator or the Chickenator or something like that. Um, I don't know. But Jay Lenton um, coming in essentially to pinch run for Jordan Silk in that um, that semi-final. A um, lot of flare-up on Twitter and social media about that. What do we actually think about um, that? I know Raj has got um, you know one side of the uh, one side of the coin. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die on the hill for it. I just I don't think it was very sporting. In the context, uh, he came in. You said he was in there for four balls. I think we were talking about this earlier, Baldy. Yep. Uh, faced one of them uh, and was was off strike for the others. But I don't think that you should be able to bring somebody in just just to run at the end. I think if he were if they chose nominated him to bat, knowing that he was injured previous to going into batting, I think he got injured in the field when they were fielding. That's my understanding. Yeah, he did a hammy in the field. You know, you have to you have to take the good with the bad there. I mm. um yeah. But go ahead, Bingsy. Put me on my. Ass. Oh, look, I'm not going to put you on your necessarily, but I, I think what we're talking about is, um, you know, if a batsman is ill or injured, they're considered retired, not out, and may be able to return at the end of the innings if they wish to do so. Um, and a batsman can also be retired out as well um, at any point during the course of the uh, the innings. We see that a lot in the warm-up games that are given first-class status in the lead-up to test matches, for example, where someone's got, you know, 80-odd, they're feeling pretty good, Nick, and they say, yeah, come in um, and have I a crack. I think there's a bit more on this game than uh, in those warm-up th games. Th 
there, there is a little bit more on it, but it's the laws of cricket that we're talking about here. I don't think the spirit's been fractured in my particular view. That you know they've sent Jordan Silk out there because they thought he could clear the rope um, in that situation, and then they've got to the stage where um, they needed two off the final ball of the game, and they've got a guy with a torn hamstring, and they've sent a guy without a torn hamstring in to run for him. Happens all the time in baseball. Uh, you know the the concept of a pinch runner. And um, for me, I think it's bloody good coaching to actually um, have said, you know what, I think that this guy can clear the fence. We'll let him try and do that on one leg. Um, when he's not been able to do it, they've sent someone in that can uh, that can run for him. Um, I, I guess the only fly in the ointment, which I'm sure uh, Raj would have pointed out, is that uh, uh, Jordan Silk did run a two in his innings as well. So, um, yeah, look, a little bit of a, a difficult situation. In a test match, I'd have probably been throwing shit at the screen. Um, <laughs> but I think in, in this Mickey Mouse T20, it's all right, isn't it? What about, you said baseball just there before. So same kind of scenario, last ball or last couple of balls, they substitute out the strike the player who's striking the ball for a left-hander or a right-hander or something because there's just a shorter boundary on the other side. Are you, are you comfortable with that? Absolutely. I don't, this isn't baseball. Yeah. Fellas. We're talking, we're just a cricket. You know, that, that's not how the game has traditionally been played. I know the game is different now, but uh, I don't know, part of me is a bit romantic and likes to see those sort of traditions held. If, if he was if he was fit enough to go in uh, when they made that decision, I think he was fit enough to finish the game. And that's the real challenge, isn't it? Is that he wasn't injured while batting. He was injured before he batted, and Sydney have made a tactical judgment to go, okay, we're going to have him heading towards the short boundary. We're going to take a punt that he's going to be able to do that for us. So they've kind of got a bob each way, if you like. And I can understand the people who are not upset about it, but who are saying, well, he shouldn't be able to retire her if they've sent him out to bat and they knew he was injured to begin with. You know, if he had come back for a second and done his hamstring again and then couldn't continue, then that might be a slightly different story from a spirit of cricket point of view. It's funny, right? What if he just stood in the middle of the pitch? They probably would have been more sporting letting himself getting run out rather than getting retired. Well, then they would have needed three to win instead of two, (laughs) and that would have been a a little bit harder. And this is the beautiful thing about cricket, right? We talked about this, what, what, two or three podcasts ago. We were talking about whether a guy that can bowl left arm and right arm should be able to run up and bowl with either arm without telling the umpire because a batsman's allowed to switch around and um, play the reverse uh, reverse hit if he wants. So, look, I, I think we're talking about similar things here. It is a matchup conversation. It is a tactical conversation. Um, look, whichever side of the coin you come down on, fair enough. But um, look, I thought it was fantastic coaching from uh, Sixers, uh, Sixers coaching staff there um, to get someone in that's going to be able to get the result that they needed. Um, would we have, you know, would we have actually, um, what would we have said if the bowler had pulled up with a hammy because it was a matchup situation? Like, I don't know. It, it, look, it, it is an interesting debate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'm sure that we'll see uh, more of now that we've seen an instance of this. And, um, very, very often, Mark Wall, who I don't particularly like on commentary, is is a massive advocate of bringing someone in when they can't time it. Um, he said, "Yeah, you bring him off because he's shit." Like that, that's genuine. That's genuinely <laughs> what he's saying. So, uh, look, maybe we will see um, pinch um, pinch batters coming in. Um, but yeah, Perth Scorchers' dominance continues. Bordy, can you see them being big favourites for Big Bash Twelve if it if it takes place in this COVID ravaged world? All other things being equal, I think absolutely. I mean, you do also have to remember that I don't think they played a game in Perth since the middle of December. They played Which is most fantastic, isn't it? F- played most of their games away in Sydney or Melbourne. So a tremendous performance from them to be on the road. 
for, well, to be fair, six weeks, eight weeks, which is less than the Warriors spend on the road, obviously. But they've done a really, really good job. They'll have most of their guys back. Maybe Colin Munro retires, perhaps. But, I mean, he's, what, 35, 36? He'll probably keep going until he's in his late 30s. They'll have most of their guys back. And, and you know, guys like... Um, Joe Richardson and and players like that, you know, they're going to just get better and better and better, aren't they? So your question there about next year, I guess I want to kind of open that up to, to all of you here and just ask a question around, do we think that the BBL as a format has gotten a little bit tired? Maybe it was a bit a bit more lacklustre this, this time around. They tried, you know, changing the rules and things last season, adding stuff in. What do you guys make of, of a BBL as a tournament? Well, I think the fact that they've been changing rules and introducing X factors and power surges and all sorts of, you know, electrical terms, I'm sure they're going to have a, a circuit breaker in there at some point, tells me that the format is getting a little bit tired and they're having to do things to try and, you know, keep it, keep it fresh and, and have that little bit of novelty factor. My view would be less is more. I think they're playing too many games. If they're playing, I think, 14 round robin games, something yeah. like that. Everyone plays each other up, twice. Up from 10 in the previous yeah, tournament. Yeah, so I think that's too much. That's too much cricket. I think it would be a less is more type of situation. You know, that that does introduce inequity in the draw, and I know that can cause some, some ructions and stuff. But if you played it in a conference system and you had two conferences of four and you played everyone in your own conference twice, that's six games, and then you had another four games against the other conference, that's ten, and then you go into a semi-final and final situation. Clearly what they're trying to do is is create more money by having more cricket, and I think that's going to wear on fans at some point, and there's going to be some kind of fatigue. Yeah, look, the only thing I think I'd add is obviously we've had a season where crowds haven't really been able to get into the stadium. So um, I think if we go back to the previous iterations of Big Bash, we've seen actually, I, I believe, a decline in the you know public bums on seats at games over the course of the last couple of years, um, notwithstanding this COVID year. So um, I think um, I've said to you guys, you know, you can uh, you can share a sheet many times, you can only skin it once. And I, I wonder whether or not the BBL are getting to the stage where they are um, really, you know, taking advantage of of the public in that respect. What's been really good, I think, is that you've got that ability to switch over from the Test cricket and get into the Big Bash. That's really helped in terms of the marketing of the game. Yep. Um, but I think they've missed a, a few tricks this year. Um, the biggest one for me is not letting those test players, particularly St Steve Smith, back into the tournament mm -hmm. um, at the end. I think that that would have raised the profile um, of the tournament again. But look, I'd be an advocate of a shorter, sharper tournament. And um, We've seen players like Andre Russell only come in for three or four games rather than maybe playing the whole of that tournament. Yep. Um, so I think you've got to really attract those big name players to um, to have that, um, yeah, that, that sort of tournament. Yeah, I, I think I've been thinking about it a little bit, actually, the BBR and how they could enhance it. And what I keep coming back to is that 2020 cricket especially is is all about the brands of the players, the players that are playing in the league. Imagine if uh, next year Kevin Peterson came back and played for He's one of the He's in good nick, mate, in this He's, world shit. The, Jesus. the Legend of League or what, oh, the, mate, the, yeah. whatever it was called. Um, but my point is that bring back some of those players or maybe, you know, Mihaela J. Wardner, um, I don't know if you're signalling to me or no, what. I'm just scratching my arm. Sorry, mate. Yeah, um, yeah, bring back some of those sort of big names who have only just gotten out of the game. I bet you Shane Warne could still chuck it down pretty pretty good. If um, you listen to him in the com box, you definitely could, yeah. Yeah, so the, I think that's probably where they need to look at, opening it up to more international players maybe. Mm. How many they have at the moment? Two in a side? I think it I think it might have been two, maybe three. But, I mean, the challenge, of course, is getting guys down through mm -hmm. quarantine and into Australia in the last two years. I think previous to that... They've had some pretty high-quality internationals, De Villiers. They've had um, Mornay Morkel for the Brisbane Heat. Rashid Khan's obviously been a Yeah, been a, been a stalwart as well. So they've had some reasonable names. 
the last the last obviously two and a half years notwithstanding but a shorter tournament might mean they're available for longer which would be, which would be a big boon but 2020 cricket's real strength at the moment is even that sort of if i can call them the second tier mm. of good players who are not the international players are still really good players who bring people into the game mm-hmm. but, sorry bring put bums on seats is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. um yeah back to you well from big bash to super smash um we've got um the climax of the tournament here in New Zealand. Lippy, I guess uh, you've been pretty quiet so far as we've uh, eulogised about um, Australia, um, England and um, the Universe boss uh, returning um, to T20 cricket as alongside Kevin Peters and Jeffrey Boycott and some others as well. But yeah, <laughs> um, what do we think for, from the Super Smash and the, and the climax of the tournament, for both women um, and men's here in New Zealand? Well, I guess the, talking about a tournament where you'd like to add uh, more international players, Super Smash is one where we, we haven't had any uh, international players. I think largely, again, um, because of uh, the fact that borders, you know, makes it pretty much impossible here for, for New Zealand, but also the fact that we're competing with the Big Bash. It just You're just never going to get the attract the names, and, and I'm sure that the money on offer isn't anywhere near that but look i think it's been a much more entertaining competition uh, than the than the big bash and i also think that uh, you know they will they play the 10 games and i also think that you know the fact that it's been over that period of time it, every game has just seemed like it's been relevant and yeah I, i've just absolutely loved the tournament but you know, then you flip it around, those two finals, they weren't exactly uh, the greatest entertainment for the sport because they were just won so comfortably by the two teams that we saw on offer with the Blaze and, and the Brave. Yeah, a little bit of a disappointment in terms of the closeness of the finals, but it did turn out the way that we perhaps had thought that it might in terms of the, the Wellington Blaze and um, being particularly successful in the women's competition. The Blaze in particular were tremendously successful throughout this tournament, and I think you touched on it prior to the to the final in terms of them being an almost unbackable favourite. And certainly in, in multi-betting, they were our anchor uh, to, to go through and, and win that tournament. Has their ongoing and continued success been a positive thing for the Women's Super Smash, or has it been um, a little bit detrimental to the kind of health of that competition, do you think? Uh, it's hard to know because I th- I think uh, you have to preface that first by saying that they lost last year. They Canterbury Canterbury yeah, was the very strong. Did beat them. Yeah, Canterbury was very strong last year. Pushed them all the way. Challenged them in in lots of different games. It wasn't just you know they didn't last year. This season they've gone through unbeaten and and almost unchallenged. Uh, Canterbury was I think surprising that they weren't as strong. They they did lose Kate Ibrahim down to to the Sparks and the Sparks have been very very good bouncing back from a year where they've had pretty much no success to coming in and finishing second in that final. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to know because the, those two sometimes when you have a a big team that everyone wants to chase, it's that driver and you know when we talked to Frankie Mackay, I think you know it must have been a year 18 months ago now, she was kind of saying that yes, you looked to Wellington and you just wanted to beat them and that kind of drove the magicians and perhaps you know drove them that year to really succeed well. But on the flip side of that, it really, yeah, I, I said, I think, last week that the, the men's competition, I didn't know who was going to win in those three, out of those three teams. You know, I, I thought it might be a Wellington double. That proved uh, quite wrong in the men's competition. But it was almost, as soon as, as soon as Susie Bates was dismissed in that final, you just kind of thought, okay, like, that the Sparks just have no chance here, and I mean, even even the fact that Sophie Devine put on ni- scored ninety and, and got the Blaze up to a, a big total, 
Yes, it was it was going to need a Susie Bates special to kind of win them that game, and as soon as she was dismissed early, it it, it meant that the enjoyment factor, I suppose, from a from a neutral point of view, was taken out of it a bit. Yeah, it, it's super difficult, isn't it? Because when you've got an established tournament, an established group of teams that play in that tournament, so, you know, you use the football in analogy, you've got the Premier League, and over the course of the last 20 years, you know, Premier League, I think, started in 1992, you've had five or six teams that have dominated that. And the reason they've dominated it isn't because necessarily they've had the money, although some of those clubs have, but it's also because they've got the infrastructure to continue to produce players of quality you, you know you look at that uh, Manchester United Academy and you know the likes of the fact that you've got a David Beckham a Gary Neville a Ryan Giggs they, they produce quality Phil players Phil Neville as well interestingly they're both bloody handy cricketers and I think um, <laughs> Phil Neville in fact um, still holds a Lancashire League record with Matt Hayden um, for an opening batting partnership for a, a club side but anyway we digress um, but my, my point really being here that this is about the domestic tournament that is focused around the provinces. And you are going to have a situation where a province has um, a number of players that come through over a number of years and they have a period of dominance for, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is. And um, that's where I think from a T20 perspective, the franchise system really, really works in terms of being able to say you can only have four of the international players or you can only have two um, overseas players and you, you you actually have to really make that system work. Um, so I don't know why everyone's laughing at me as I um, go on this particular rant. But um, look, I, I think you are going to, you know, have those situations where there's a look a period of dominance. But um, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, as you say, I think... Um, from a you know from a perspective of, of you know Wellington's dominance throughout the course of the competition um you know we've put it on our multi it was a, you know it was an absolute lock throughout the course of the season um and and they you know deserved in terms of their success absolutely they they deserve all the success and and I you know I think we do have to celebrate that they were just absolutely tremendous throughout the tournament and uh, yeah let's let's hope all those players can carry it on over the next next couple of months we were laughing at you because you almost poked my eyes out while you were Gesticulating, gesticulating wildly there, yeah um just going back to the the men's competition there and how that ended uh we were lucky enough or unlucky enough however you want to look at it to have the black caps uh and the national side players uh back in the tournament they had a massive impact what did you make of of them and how it affected the competition yeah yeah they did you're right um i mean well i i'll i'll talk about some of the unheralded players a bit later because i still think that they did play a massive part in in the the brave in particular their success throughout the season but yeah look you know you look to that final and, and mitchell santner geez he showed his class it, it, I mean, funnily enough, him and Susie, uh, not Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, both scored 92 kind of match-turning match performances. You know, Indy's innings sort of could have gone either way. Indy were brave, I guess, in their decision to, to nice. set, their, set their lineup and actually picked a lot of bowling options and Santner pushed up the order. He talked about uh, in the conversation that he had, after his innings, talked about how he really relished that responsibility, and he and he scored runs in the their last round robin game that kind of got them into uh, into the first place and and got them that week or that week off or, or whatever however many days it was. But yeah, look, it was funny innings because uh, he he kept. He kept swinging the bat, and you'd think, "Oh, he's cloth that. Like he hasn't got any of that at all." And then it would just fly over the ropes for six, and yeah, he just he just kept going. And and you know, what actually impressed me the most from him was he was ragging it, and uh, when he was bowling, and uh, you know, he only picked up one wicket. It was a crucial wicket of, of Cam Fletcher in the end, but 
Yeah, look, um, there's been a couple of games this year and the last sort of three months or so where I've seen Santner that he started to spin the ball a lot more. And look, if he can add that to to the accuracy that he's got, if he can bring that on a regular basis, that's going to be huge. But And you're saying you wanted to talk about some of the more unheralded players. I'll come to you first, Border. You were talking to me this, this afternoon a lot about Cartney Clark and how mm. much he is impressed this, you. This is a scouting report, is it? Someone is a scouting report picked that in the final to every, open the batting? Every, everyone already knows about him. 21-year-old. Look, he's impressed me this season. Twenty-two, I believe. I think they're twenty saying he was twenty-one in the uh, in the twenty-two commentary years and one hundred and thirty-one. But I believe days. he's twenty-two. There you go. There it, was, you go. it was weird. Yeah, carry on, Baldy. I was going to say he's impressed me this season, and he and he showed it in the final, seventy-one off thirty-four on a big stage. Young fella came out and dominated a pretty fancy Canterbury attack. You know, it had it had Matt Henry, it had Nuttall, it had guys that have been successful, it had Daryl Mitchell. You know, Todd Astle, very experienced cricketer. He dominated those guys and set up a victory for his team. So, look, I think there's a lot to like. As you mentioned, Raj, in our conversation, there's a lot of players in that black cap side who are pretty well established across all of those different formats. It's going to be tough a couple of years for him to break into that national setup, but he looks like he's got a real future. Yeah, look, there were a lot of guys that I thought stepped up in that, that tournament. I mean, you know, we just mentioned Cam Fletcher. We've mentioned him a few times. And, and I actually think, uh, I mean... Let, let's just talk about him for a second and that, uh, you know, go look back to that semi-final and, uh, you know, I was trying to push for Wellington. I was trying to say, look, Devin Conway's going to step up in these big games and he, and he actually did. He scored scored runs. Michael Bracewell is another who's really stepped up in this tournament, who's someone who's kind of been, was touted from an early age to, to be someone that was going to push for higher honours and it hasn't really happened for him yet. But look, he had a big season in this and finished top run scorer in the, the men's charts. But yeah, look, Cam Fletcher just came in and changed that game, 60-odd off 35 balls, and it's and it's a role that he's played throughout the season for Canterbury. There's been quite a few games in their, their whole campaign where it could have gone wrong for them, you know, and he just came in and, and won them the game and got them across the line. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming a specialty of his. And, you know, even I think in that... Uh, you talk about finishes and it, and it being such an important role. And yeah, look, if, if he can establish himself in that role, it's it's going to be a great opportunity for him to push for higher honours because that's probably one of the roles that we don't necessarily have in that black cap side. We've seen Jimmy Neesham sort of play that role a little bit. But, you know, if Tim Seifert is going to be falling out of the, you know, the keeping spot in New Zealand, although he did finish the season strong, then, you know, Fletcher has, has got an opportunity to, to push for things there. We've talked about it a little bit there in terms of the guys that might be pushing for higher honours. Anyone else that's really caught the eye throughout the course of this tournament that might, you know, get on the plane to that World Cup, T20 World Cup? I don't know if there are that many that are pushing for the plane. I Like you guys just said, I think there are a lot of really settled players in that squad and, you know, there would have to be a few players really fall out of form or kind of uh, get injured or, or something to um, to not make the plane. But I, I do think that there were certainly some impressive performers. Someone like Henry Shipley really stood up for Canterbury. He was uh, yeah, finished at 18 wickets. I think that was top top wicket taker for the, uh, for the men's competition and really did a great job. Even in that final, when the runs were flowing, he was the only one that could kind of come in and bowl Solid overs. He's someone when he runs in and bowls, he, you know, he's really t- another really tall person. I mean, we talked about Joel Garner. He's not quite on that level, but he's he's tall, and it doesn't look like he's bowling at a huge pace. 
but just someone that really seems to to challenge batters and f- they find it hard to to get away. Contributed really well with the bat, and then you look on the brave side. I said it before. There's been a lot of players in that lineup. It's been a really impressive campaign for them because the fact that they've had, I think they've had guys that it's been a different player every single game almost that stepped up. We've touched on someone like DeGronholm, who's really had a couple of big games. Santner had this big push to the finish. You had uh, you had Seifert in a couple of games, but actually, sort of some people like. Joe Walker and uh, Anurag Verma, who actually both ended up playing in that final. I wasn't sure if Verma would play. If I think if Trent Bolt had uh, had been uh, available, then he might Verma might have been the one to miss out. You never know. But I think those two. Um, I mean Walker, especially after he ragged one through uh, through the gate yesterday, uh, really sort of endears himself to me. Any, anyone that can do that, but. You know, th- both of those two, I think, have been really integral in uh, in what ND have done. And, you know, I guess it's performances like that. You know, you, you uh, I think in New Zealand, you only need a, a year or two like that. And suddenly you are pushing for higher honours. And, uh, yeah, the amount of cricket that goes on, it's uh, it, it doesn't take a, a hugely sustained period of time to, to put yourself in lights. Look, I've probably done my dash probably on, on the Super Smash. Yeah, big congrats again for on... Uh, for, for the Blaze and the Brave on, uh, I think you guys said it, it's, it's two sides that deserved to lift those trophies. So very well done for both of them. But look, we should go over to uh, to the West Indies again. And I, I must say, I haven't seen a huge amount of that series. But uh, firstly, Binksy, Raj, can you guys tell me a bit about that Rovman Powell innings? I mean, that, that seemed like a, an impressive performance. Was that, I, I don't actually know anything about him at all as a cricketer. Is, did he come in and smash it? How was that innings? Yeah, look, I, I think I didn't know a lot about Rodman Powell before this innings, if I'm brutally honest, but brutal would be the word that I would use. He started really, really well um, against the spinners, what I really liked. And I didn't actually realise this, and I don't know whether it's true, but I, there's a directive, I think, given to England cricketers that they must wear a helmet when they're batting, mm. uh, whether it's against seam or against spin. Rodman Powell came out to the spinners in his West Indies cap and absolutely marmalised it to all parts. 107 <laughs> off uh, 53 balls. Just the 10 sixes in that innings. Oh, yeah, just uh, yeah, striking at uh, <laughs> 202. And and look, made uh, made the ground look look tiny. And I've got to be honest, I don't think England bowled particularly well um, at, at him. Um, offered him a little bit of width at times. And also, I think, you know, what you actually got to look at is this game had 200 and... Uh, 220 played 204. So, you know, a, a pretty decent amount of runs. And England came um, just a little bit short in, in terms of their chase. But look, fantastic, fantastic innings. And look, a really nicely poised series now at two all. Um, I think the other thing that's been brilliant to watch is five games at the same ground. There's been a little bit of interest around that because they've played on different pitches and they've played on a used pitch a couple of times. Um, the boundary sizes have varied a little bit. The wind has come into the you know the equation. Um, it, it it's been really really interesting to watch this five uh, test uh, five T uh, twenty series um, unfold. I think the other thing that I would just point out, and this is not England Binksy making excuses, <laughs> but England have got a relatively uh, mixed side in terms of the people that are there. They're giving opportunities to people like Tom Banton, uh, Phil Salt, Harry Brook, George Garton, Tymar Mills, uh, Reese Topley, who's not played a massive amount of cricket, as well as some of the established guys like Chris Jordan and Moen Ali and 
uh, Jason Roy, who we know pretty well. So, um, look, it's been a fantastic series to watch. There's been um, a lot of interest. Um, and we've talked a lot about the West Indies over the course of the last six months on the podcast. Really, really good um, to see some of these guys like Romario, Romario Shepard, Fabian Allen, um, Akil Hussain, um, coming through and joining the likes of Kyron Pollard and, and some of the more established players. Um, but it's been a fantastic series to watch and, and fans in the ground as well, which has been really good, Raj. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the, the Rovman Powell stuff and, and more around his, his selection because um, I don't know if you heard Karen uh, Pollard's comments after the game. He was, he was quite... Um, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but emphatic that, you know, it's, it's great to see him, you know, fulfilling his potential and, you know, repaying the faith in, in selecting him. Because mm. uh, as, as we've seen, you know, since the 2020 World Cup a few months ago, there has been a lot of questions around the selections that that new West Indian panel is making. Um, and, and they're giving guys a go. And, and it's good to see someone like this and Shepard as well and, and the others sort of stepping up and... and showing that there is a bit of depth to West Indies cricket, especially with the with the white ball. So that, that's kind of just what I wanted to highlight there around um, Powell. And we always finish, uh, or we always have some sort of level of prediction. This show is going to come out, and I think the next T20, we're recording this on a Sunday night. And it's gonna, tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah. tomorrow morning, and uh, we always have kind of a... Uh, a little bit we've got a bit of a lag we just released our, our hall of fame episode this morning so we'll give it give you a bit of break and release this one midweek sometime so look lads prediction raj and, and binksy probably you two have, have watched the series closely enough who's going to take it out yeah i think the west indies win it uh, they'll score um 200 batting first and england will, will fall apart all out 120 <laughs> yeah look couldn't agree more uh, <laughs> And look, the good thing is um, in the post-match uh, press conference, Kyron Pollard mentioned that they were playing in the middle of the square so that the boundaries were going to be even. We've had a couple of games where it's been a case of there's been one short boundary. Um, I am going to say that England are actually going to take the thing that Raj values the most in cricket, which is the big mo, momentum. Um, and they're going to take their win from this morning um, into tomorrow. We're going to see Phil Salt, who came in, um, played really, really well in game three, uh, 50 runs, came in today and just hit his first ball up in the air, um, got caught. I think he's going to play again tomorrow. I think he's going to get their bowling correct. Um, their spinners today were absolutely superb. Lippy, I don't know whether you saw the game, but... Um, uh, I didn't, but I've heard about Moeen Ali. Oh, mate, not even Moeen Ali. So you want to see uh, Ro uh, Rovman Powell came in. There was a, a buzz in the ground and Rashid's bowled him a wrong and that he's just not picked and bowled him through the gate. Mate, you honestly, you would have had to have a little sit down. You'd have been that excited. <laughs> um, and uh, look, he bowled really, really well. So look, I, I, I hope my compatriots take it out tomorrow. Um, but I have to say, it's been a fantastic series. The hitting has been, I would not want to be a bowler in Bridgetown, uh, Barbados. Um, and I also wouldn't want to be um, Cookerbrook because they've needed to supply a hell of a lot of cricket balls for that series <laughs> so far as well. Just before we wrap up the pod, we just probably should touch on the crescendo that is the Under-19 World Cup and a couple of surprising results, at least for me, given the quality that, uh, that Sri Lanka put together in the group stages, beating Australia in the group stages. They've gone out of the tournament at the quarterfinal stage. They'll still play for 
fifth and sixth place and so forth over the, the next few days. But the real surprise packet has been Afghanistan reaching the semi-finals. They won their quarterfinal against Sri Lanka, beat them reasonably comprehensively to book a place against England, Adam, in the semi-final number one. And then, of course, the big showdown, Australia versus India in semi-final number two. So there's a possibility that Afghanistan, if they beat England, well, there's a certainty if they beat England, but they're a chance to play in the final of the Under-19 World Cup, which is a great thing for Afghanistan cricket moving forward because they've been reliant on on their spinners, their, their experienced spinners, for, for so long now. It's wonderful to see young cricketers coming up and, and and sort of following in that tradition. So fantastic for Afghanistan cricket, uh, reasonably close to Adams and my heart this season, particularly at club level. So fantastic to see their, their national side, their under-19 side doing so well. Good luck to them. Baldy, couldn't agree more. I'm not going to get on the jingoistic um, train that England have, have won their three games in their group stage so far and, and should be favourites for the tournament. But uh, <laughs> no, look, it, it's been fantastic to see them play. And, and look, every bit of the under 19 World Cup that I've seen on their TV, it's been great just to see there's a level of, I don't know what it is, it's sort of enthusiasm, naivety. Youthful I, exuberance, isn't it? Youthful it's... exuberance, yeah, I think would be a good description. It's been like, it's been fantastic. Um, to watch in a time where um, all of us are worrying about whether or not we need to sanitise our desk and, you know, wipe our keyboard down with a bit of antibacterial wipe. So, look, it's been absolutely fantastic to see um, that level of uh, joviality um, on the TV. But that does wrap up another episode of the Top Order podcast. It's great um, to be recording, particularly with so much cricket going on around the world at the moment. But um, if you do want to dip into the back catalogue please do so we've got some awesome stuff um, that's been recently released not least our hall of fame where we talk about pat cummins somehow in the top 60 um, of world cricketers so. after just 38 test matches and um, severe injuries left right and center and still not a new zealander um, in sight but you do dip into the back catalogue listen to a little bit of the hall of fame listen to this week in cricket from last week which is still um, pretty relevant and we'll be back in your feed next week to talk about the result of the ICC Under-19 World Cup. We'll talk about England in the West Indies and a whole host more. Good night. God bless. See you soon.